Hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. If you're a regular listener or maybe you've just come across us and this is the first time you've tried out the podcast, you may be aware or you may not be aware of uh, the conversation which continues each month between myself and Bill Shapiro. Well, in the first week of each month, we pick a theme and that's a continuing conversation. And what we've been talking about over the last couple of months is the personal project. And I suppose what we've been trying to do is dig deep and dig down. Uh, around the idea of what constitutes a personal project. And we've given different examples and we've had input from other photographers, which has been great. But I saw a project being announced recently um, through Kickstarter by a photographer who had previously contributed to this podcast, uh, the British-based photographer Gillian Edelstein. Anyway, I saw this announcement. Um, She's trying to raise money for a project. And I'm going to read to you what she's written on that Kickstarter. Not as an advert for it, although, of course, go and check it out. But I think what Gillian describes as the impetus behind the work that she's trying to get funding for absolutely encapsulates to me exactly what a personal project is. So it might be useful to you. Anyway, this is what uh, Gillian has written. I'm reading this off my phone, so I'll do my best. Uh, She says, Here and There, which is the name of the project, is a personal chronicle that expands into a series of photographs on the displacing of humans in general. I discovered an unknown branch of my family where li- were living, I should say, in the Ukraine when I turned 40. How had I not known that my grandfather had a disappeared sister? In particular, as the story emerged of my great-aunt Mina, whose life was punctuated by three forced evacuations and who coincidentally had died the same year I was born. The fate of Mina's brothers and their descendants, who had prospered as whites in South Africa, developed ever greater contrast. Later in the same year that I first saw Mina's photograph, I was commissioned to photograph the South African Sangoma shamans whose rituals employ the intermediary healing powers of their ancestors. A shaman told me that my own ancestors were in conflict, catalyzing a growing determination to untangle my family's hidden history. I began a journey that took me from my home in London to the heartland of the Ukraine, to my grandfather's birthplace in Latvia. This, in turn, led me to the shores of Lesvos, the jungle in Calais, to the boat graveyard on the island of Lampedusa. Refracting images of displaced people through the lens of my family's own mystery reaches the refugee history we all have in common, whether we know its details or not. Well, to me, that's the perfect explanation, description of a personal project. Whilst we're talking about definitions, I wonder if you've ever been asked what you do for a job. And if you're a photographer, I wonder how that's received. 
I'm asked quite often about what I do, and I always say that um, I earn my living from and through photography. I don't describe myself as a photographer because I sort of have lots of other strings to my bow, although my core, I suppose, income comes from photography and teaching photography. In the UK, quite often when I say I'm a photographer, which occasionally I do just to kind of clarify things, I might say that um, I'm a photographer of people you may have heard of, desperately trying to avoid the word celebrity. But what I'm usually met with is, um, are you paparazzi or do you do weddings? They're the two core understandings, it would appear, certainly in the UK, of what photography is and what photography does. When I then start to explain in a little bit more detail what I do, uh, it tends to get a little bit complicated. And so I tend to kind of step away and not get into too much detail. But I think it raises some interesting questions and some interesting points as to where we are today with photography. I think a lot of people kind of look down on photographers and think it's slightly an old-fashioned, archaic um, practice, medium, profession. Now that they can take photographs with their own phones, there's this idea that the photographer still exists within an analogue world, creating pictures But for why? And for whom? There seems to be little connection between the idea of the photograph and the impact it has on everybody's life today. Every single thing you buy online is on the basis of looking at a photograph. That photograph is the thing which actually informs you as to whether or not you want to spend your money. I've been looking at buying a new car. I'm still trying to find a new house. How am I doing that? Well, I'm doing it online and initially by looking at photographs. I'm making decisions based on those photographs. So actually, the photographer today is an influencer. Not in that phrase that is so often used in Instagram, but a more direct and I suppose sort of silent influencer. You may not know the name of the photographer, but they're still informing the decisions you're going to make. I think that starts to become much more interesting. So in future, I think I'm going to say, I'm somebody who's a visual influencer. But don't worry, I'm not like those ones on Instagram. This week, we welcome to the podcast to explain to us in under five minutes what photography means to her, Tamara Sade who was born and raised in Lebanon and is a journalist and photographer currently based in Beirut. She mainly covers Lebanon's ever-changing political landscape, focusing on human rights with a documentary approach through photography, writing and videography. Working with different photographic formats and artistic platforms, she uses the intersectionality of the medium and the message to highlight her stories. She has worked with the New York Times, the Washington Post, the UN, Vice International, Al Jazeera and Megaphone, amongst others. She has exhibited her work in the US, France, the UAE, Norway and, of course, in the Lebanon. I guess asking a photographer what photography means to you is one of the toughest, hardest questions, yet it's so simple because it's, I mean, I'm going to start right away for me, you know, it's a job, it's a passion, 
it's a hobby, it's a therapy, it's just a way of seeing life, a way of dealing with life and asking to put all of these thoughts into words is a bit hard. Um, I guess, as I said to me, you know, it, it really started as, so I was born in the 1990s uh, at the kind of cusp between uh, analog and digital. So I experienced both as a kid. And I remember clearly the moment I got a, this my small first digital camera and it felt different than all the times I previously had my analog, like disposable cameras that, you know, our parents would buy to us when we were going for like a, a camp with school or something. And then you would just develop the role. Having that very first digital small camera was very different. And I think I must have been, I don't know, eight, nine, something along those lines. Um, and, you know, it was really one of those super tiny point and shoots, like, really, I mean, I still have it, but really bad basic cameras. I think it was that point where, I don't know, photography started having a heftier and heavier meaning to me. It was immortalizing moments. It was memories. It was family, friends, that aspect. And then... I never really thought of becoming a photographer when I was young, not until I think mid-high school maybe, when I got seriously into it. And by seriously, I mean I was, you know, I was 16 when I got my uh, first semi-professional camera um, that my friends got to me for my birthday, my 16th birthday. And uh, this is how it kind of started. At concerts, I would get like, Always, I always have a camera. I get to photograph events, my friends' birthday parties, and this is when social media kind of also like picked up. So all of my friends' pictures and all the pictures that I took of my friends were their profile pictures. So it was giving, you know, it was kind of giving photography like access to photography to everyone. You didn't need all that fancy equipment and whatnot. And, you know, having a place for your photograph, which is very nice. And besides your your drawers or family albums. Um, and yeah, it started as a hobby. It started as a passion. It became very quickly a profession for me when I realized I just couldn't, you know, since I was 16, there hasn't passed a single day maybe where I haven't taken a picture, maybe with a camera, with a phone, with a professional camera. So very quickly, it turned into an evidence that this would be my, my job. So I'm still very young. I'm 26. Um, sorry, I feel like I still have so much to live and experience with my camera and outside of it in a way. And I don't know, I'm always very conscious of the fact that it could just, you know, be taken away from me from for whatever reason, through an accident, through a disease, you know, knock on wood. But I am very conscious that the thing I love the most, I might lose it, which is photography. And it just makes me appreciate it right now more and more. And I often think, like, what would I do without photography? I mean, I guess I'm very lucky. I'm also a journalist, and writing holds a big role in my life. Like, I'm also a print journalist. I love writing and reporting. But I feel like both writing and photography are complementary to me. And, yeah, I mean, I do have those dark thoughts of, like, what would I do without photography? But I really hope I never have to experience a world without photography. Um...
And yeah, I mean, growing up, whose work that I admire, I'm thinking on the top of my head, like Joel Merowitz, uh, Sebastian Salgado, you know, the big names when I was just discovering photography. But the more I went into it, I discovered like Vivian Mayer, obviously, with street photography, because I have a street photography kind of background. Thinking of a fellow Lebanese photographer, Miriam Boulos, she's an amazing, incredible photographer and even greater friend and person. Um, you know, so many people just gifted me with their photography. You know, it's it's like a part of themselves that they kind of give to the world. And I don't know, I think I like, it matters to me because it's my way of understanding the world and my way of getting closer to people, my friends, uh, the subjects I report on. Um, yeah, for someone who's a bit shy, it was always useful to have that camera to hide behind. Uh, but yeah, that camera very quickly, you know, that shield kind of very quickly grew into a part of myself. And I'm just lucky that photography found me, I guess. Thank you, Tamara, for your contribution this week. It's always great to hear from young photographers. I think that's our first photographer contributing from the Lebanon. So great to have that as well. And recommending not only, obviously, those great photographers uh, that we all know about, such as uh, Mayovitz and so forth, but also uh, giving us some uh, new photographers to think about as well. So, as always, check out her work. Regular listeners know that this podcast is created in a a shed which is no bigger than my outstretched arms in both directions. Over the years, we've heard the dog next door barking, now sadly passed, uh, the rain on the roof, uh, the birds around the shed, and this week you may have heard some building work, and you may still be hearing some building work going on because my next-door neighbours are building an extension, and it's very difficult to find a time to get to do the podcast, to record it, when they're not building. So I hope their digging, banging and machinery hasn't uh, in any way impacted on your enjoyment of this episode. Anyway, moving swiftly on, few things to let you know about. Uh, those of you that may have been listening to the In Search of Bill J series of podcasts, if you haven't, go back through the archive and you'll find them under A Photographic Life. Uh, last summer was, I think, when we did most of them, and I'm hoping to pick that up uh, this summer again when I get a bit more time. Anyway, uh, I've written an article which is in this month's uh, Burlington magazine magazine, which is the world's oldest arts magazine, evidently. Uh, it's a big article. I think it's about eight pages, um, something like that. And it's all about Bill J, Tony Ray Jones and New York in 1968. Uh, Burlington magazine, as I say, is an arts magazine. But this particular issue this month on sale now is a photography uh, special uh, to tie in with the uh, Photo London event. Uh, so why not check that out? It's a really beautifully printed magazine with uh, some really, really good articles in it. So I do recommend that. Uh, something else I'm going to uh, let you know about is if you're enjoying the podcast, but you don't enjoy me and you just want to hear the photographers, I have been putting them all up on a line in an archive uh, which you can access for free and it's the unadulterated, uh, unedited 
contributions that the photographers send me. And there's going to be over 200 at some point. If that uh, takes your interest, the website to go to is www.photographyoralhistories.co.uk. So that is photography, obviously, oral, O-R-A-L, histories, H-I-S-T-O-R-I-E-S.co.uk. UK. And uh, they've got quite a few up there already. Uh, so why not check that out if you enjoy this podcast? I started off this episode by mentioning Bill Shapiro and the conversations we have. And one of the, the, I suppose, the most popular conversations we've had, which also broke down into two parts, was concerning the photo book. A constant uh, discussion point, I think, today for photographers. Well, I had another conversation about the photo book recently with an uh, American uh, curator, writer, expert on photography, uh, Mary Virginia. Swanson, and also expert and curator of photography, Darius Himes. Well, they've got a new book coming out um, all about how to make a photo book and all the information and considerations, I think a lot of which, which Bill and I actually covered. So really great to see that in print form. They bought out the first book in 2011. It was then brought out as, as a revised and uh, updated version in 2014. And now uh, they've done it again. As I said, that's coming out later this year. Anyway, I had a conversation with them recently and I thought it was fascinating. We dealt with a lot of issues and that's going to be coming up over the coming weeks as a special conversation on the podcast. Uh, in addition to that, if you... Um, want some more conversation between myself and Craig Aikinson, again, somebody who featured on a recent episode. I'll be having a chat with Craig um, prior to him receiving a Royal Photographic Society Award. So congratulations to him on that. But anyway, that's going to be available for you to uh, view, to listen to online. So find out the details about that on the Royal Photographic Society website. I think it's free, um, but you'll probably have to register. And that's in the last week of May, so it's coming up very soon. But I do know also that they always record those and then put them up online uh, and they stay there for the next year or so. So if you do look at that, um, you can also look at their archive of talks. They've got a whole range of different talks up there. So lots of stuff going on, lots of stuff for you to try out. Um, the drilling and the building continues next door, not expecting it to finish for quite a few months yet. So they may well be joining us on future podcasts. Anyway, as you can tell, we've tried to cram a lot in this week. That's the way it is on this podcast. Every week it's different. I suppose, really, that's why, he says, as my, my voice is finally giving up, I suppose I should just take care. <laughs>